Hello and welcome to 90s Galore. I'm your host, Andy Zaldivar. Very excited to be here tonight. Um, first and foremost, this is our launching episode. We're launching this podcast, 90s Galore. So very glad you can be here with us. Um, stay tuned for further uh, information on where you can link up with us on Twitter and uh, other social media. So with the 90s galore what we're going to do our our aim is to um profile important 90s musicians uh we're going to do bands we'll do um you know we're solo artists we'll do uh you know from from various genres we'll do um r&b hip-hop uh rock you know uh early uh alternative and stuff like that uh maybe some reggae as well but uh, we're excited to be here. We're we're really um, looking forward to wh- where this podcast will go, uh, where we can take it, and then uh, and then go from there. Obviously. So, um, but tonight we're we're gonna profile a band. We're very excited about uh, well, this particular band. is very near and dear to my heart. Um, I'm only sorry that I didn't listen to them. I didn't start listening to them uh, um, until the late '90s when they were. Um, a little bit past their peak uh, in the mid 90s but uh, they, they actually were formed in the late 80s um, and then really hit their stride in in, 19, in the early 90s uh, and the band I'm talking about is none other than Alice in Chains and uh, we're, we're setting the bar real high with these guys with this particular band we're, we're setting the bar extremely high so we're like I said it's, it's our first uh episode and what a better um you know there's no other band that uh, i think would would be uh suited to you know start to start this thing off and uh, i think um allison chains is, is definitely fits the bill there um they were formed in uh outside of seattle actually i think uh it was in the tacoma burying area the, the south of seattle uh if you've ever been up there it's um a lot of rain very gloomy uh, a lot of clouds so i mean this is nine nine months out of the year and uh, coincidentally i was up there from 95 through uh, 97 being stationed in bremerton washington which is uh um about 45 minutes west of tacoma northwest and, and the puget sound and uh actually kind of uh i'm going off a little off track here but uh, i was just uh, being up there and you know just post grunge grunge area uh, era uh early 95 you know um, about a year after kurt cobain actually um passed away but uh yeah it was definitely uh well being up there you, you definitely get a sense of uh you know how musicians uh what, what you know what why they're kind of dark they're kind of dreary Kind of um, very melancholy type of uh, musicians from that era, uh, early '90s, and uh, at Lane Staley and, and and company, and um, those guys. Uh, Allison Chains is no no exception. If you listen to their music, uh, these guys are very very uh, dark. Um, more so on uh, more so on uh, some albums than, than others, but uh, definitely the early stuff, very dark, especially um, their album. Uh, facelift but uh, before we get into that i just want to give you a little background on 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 this band um jerry cantrell and um 
Sean Kenny, actually the drummer, uh, formed the band. They, uh, uh, Cantrell being the lead guitar guitarist and uh, backup vocals, some lead vocals, but he was definitely uh, one of the founding members uh, along with Sean Kinney. And as, as the story goes, Sean Kinney was dating, um, his, his girlfriend at the time was, uh, the, uh, they were looking for a bassist and his girlfriend's um, brother uh, ended up being Mike Starr, which is the, uh, which ended up being the bassist for the, um, for several years, um, original member. Mike Starr, and uh, that's how the story goes there. And um, so at the at the time when they, you know, they they were looking for obviously they needed a lead vocalist. Um, so they they kind of auditioned a few guys, and um, Jerry Cantrell had met Lane Staley a few times before he auditioned a couple parties and stuff, and uh, he actually moved in with him at, at this place they very interesting place um uh, i guess it was kind of a, a shelter type of thing it's called the music bank and uh, it was uh, the way jerry Cantrell described it is uh, kind of a just like a, a, a recording studio for for you know for with 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 beds you know it was kind of a place where uh, I've, I've never even heard of anything like that, but it's called the Music Bank. You can look it up, and uh, I actually met there. Lace Daly was in a band called the uh, Sleaze prior to, um, you know, linking up with uh, Alice in Chains, and then later on, he was actually in another band called Alice in Chains as well, um, spelled differently. The N uh, apostrophe N Chains, kind of playing on the, the bondage theme there. Um, so they, they ended up uh, auditioning Allison Chains. I'm sorry, um, uh, Lane Staley. And obviously, Lane Staley is a, a rare talent, amazing, amazing singer. And they knew that, uh, yeah, this, this is our guy here. Um, so Allison Chains was formed. Um, so they recorded a demo and they got it into the hands of a person named uh, Kelly Curtis and Susan Silver. Susan Silver, coincidentally, was the managing Soundgarden at the time, another band out of Seattle, uh, and um, actually the girlfriend of Chris Cornell, the lead singer of Soundgarden at the time. They ended up getting married, and uh, but the, he got they got the demo into the hands of to their their hands, Kelly Curtis and Susan Silver. Uh, they then forwarded the demo to uh, Columbia Records A and R rep um, Nick Turzo. And the demo was called the Treehouse Tapes, something like that. Uh, um, Terzo, upon hearing these guys, um, signed them in 1989 to Columbia, and uh, you know that, the rest is history from there. Um, so that's how they kind of came to be, and uh, very cool, very cool story. You could go on YouTube, find the interviews. You can look up um, stuff, do some research, and you'll find all kinds of stuff on Allison Chains and how they were. They came to be, but uh, you know, just four kids, man. Just uh, you know, in their early early twenties, late teens, early twenties, and, and with a dream. Uh, Jerry Cantrell was homeless, uh, very humble beginning beginnings. Um, I mean, they were hungry. You know, they were hungry, and they they were they, they were talented, man. And that's just the rep recipe for success. Sometimes, you know. 
when uh, you get guys who are just, um, I mean, not only are they searching for, you know, for their, for trying to fulfill their dream as musicians, but they're, they're actually trying to survive as human beings. And, uh, you know, that, that combination of, of circumstances just, uh, I think was their catalyst and helped them, uh, really, really, um, be, become successful early on. Um, so going into their, um, their discography a little bit, uh, they, um, their first EP they released in 1990 called We Die Young. Uh, the single was called We Die Young as it was a hit on metal radio. Um, they were kind of being put in, categorized into that little, that metal, late heavy metal, late eighties, you know, um, category genre slash genre. Um, the label rushed the album into production based on the success of their EP, they, you know, which would ended up being facelift. So the, um, the, the We Die Young really hit, you know, this, this, that EP and the single. Um, and then they went off into the studio to get their first album, like I said. And facelift, facelift was actually released on uh, August 21st, 1990, peaking at number 42 in the summer of 91 on the Billboard 200 chart, uh, summer of 91. Well, I was, uh, I think I was about 14 years old, uh, going into my uh, sophomore year, I believe, in high school. And uh, like I said earlier, I didn't, uh, I had heard Alice in Chains' um, Man in the Box was a song I'd always hear. And didn't know who, I never really knew who it was. I didn't know, I assumed it was kind of like a Metallica or, or like I said, I was 14, 15 years old. I didn't know any better. And um, so Facelift uh, peaked out at number 42. It, was not an, it wasn't a, an immediate success, actually, this particular album, until uh, MTV added Man in the Box to the regular daytime rotation. The video was actually the the uh the catalyst for their success i guess uh for facelift and uh, that really was really instrumental in getting their really um getting that album um popularized and and, and out there and getting uh their name out there uh, facelift was actually certified gold on september 11th 1991 and it was it became the first album from seattle's grunge movement to be certified gold which is you know 500 thousand copies sold um at this time they were they were opening up for acts like van halen uh eggy pop the band poison um and they were just killing it you know they were really uh they started gaining a a following and in early 91 alice in chains booked an opening spot for the clash of the titans tour with anthrax megadeth and uh slayer and they got uh, through that particular, you know, tour. They got more exposure to wider, to a, to a more, uh, to more of a metal audience, to a harder rock audience, you know, through that uh, particular tour. Um, and uh, again, you know, catapulted them and into more success. It was a successful tour for them and. Uh, Alice in Chains was actually nominated for Best Hard Rock and Performance Grammy in 1992 for um, 
Man in the Box. They were nominated, but they lost to none other than Van Halen. Um, so again, you know, where we are in the early 90s, and again, they're, they're, they're really starting to gain a following, Alice in Chains, and um, talented musicians, man. I mean, these guys are just um, second to none. They're extremely talented. And uh, so they got back into the studio to record an EP, uh, actually a couple EPs uh, that particular year in 92, the, the first one being Sap, the name of Sap. Uh, 1992, they released their second EP, which was, was that, which was when Sap uh, came out, and it went in gold. And Sap actually, before I go any further, Sap was uh, an acoustic uh, EP. They have uh, there's six songs on that EP, and it's acoustic and went gold in two weeks. And that that particular album was. Uh, or not album, but EP was really instrumental in contributing to the grunge music movement. I mean, that this is when now we're just going into 92, Nirvana's about to pop off, uh, Pearl Jam, uh, Soundgarden, you got uh, some other bands that were coming out, Screaming Trees, uh, I mean, just uh, an array of bands from the grunge, the grunge movement. And um, so... Uh, they they also appeared in the uh, Cameron Crowe movie singles, they, and they actually appeared in the movie as a as a bar band. I haven't seen that movie, but uh, apparently they're in that as as the band in a, in a particular bar scene. Uh, the song "Wood" was added to the movie soundtrack and actually earned best video from a film at the 93, 1993 MTV Video Music Awards. Um, so they. Again, they're starting to get more success, and things are just really starting to evolve for them and as a band. And um, in March '92, they returned to the studio to record "Dirt." Now, "Dirt" is uh, a very, again, um, dark album, and uh, it was released in September on September 29, 1992, and it spawned the singles "Down in a Hole." I mean, these are very popular songs: uh, "Rooster," "Them Bones," "Angry Chair," and and wood among others and each one each one of those songs was in the top 30 and uh dirt actually peaked number six on the billboard 200 and it was at this time where uh mike starley left the band while they were in brazil um due to some differences there and creative differences or, or i'm not sure exactly why he left um but uh at this so they're they're in they're in brazil and they need a uh, bassist. Mike Starr leaves. Uh, they need a bassist. So they call upon a guy by the name of Mike Inez. And uh, Mike Inez uh, played on the... He played in some bands. Um, and he... From that point on, he never left the band. He was... Uh, he, his first show was... with uh, Alice in Chains was in London. At the Camden Underworld in, in January '93, and that, that was it. He was uh, he ended up still being with the band. He's still there. Uh, so Mike replaces Mike, right? Mike Inez replaces Mike Starr, and the rest is history. Um, in uh, April of 1993, the the band records "What the Hell Have I" and "A Little Bitter" with Inez, the 
first two uh, songs they recorded with him. And they they also released their uh, another acoustic-based ET, EP by the name of Jar of Flies. And uh, Jar of Flies was actually recorded in one week. And uh, it was released in January 94. And if you listen to this album, it's just pure genius, man. Not an album, it's an EP. You listen to the EP, it's pure genius. Uh, you have some tracks on there that are, not some, but all of them, that um, extremely, extremely good acoustic tracks and uh, very well written, very well arranged. Just uh, the, the EP is pure bliss. You get a chance to listen to that. Uh, listen to uh, The Jar of Flies and uh, you'll, you won't be disappointed. Uh, Jar of Flies actually debuts at number one on the Billboard 200, becoming Alice in Chains' first release to top the charts. The single No Excuses becomes their first single to top the charts. Uh, Jar of Flies actually goes triple platinum, certified triple platinum, right? Which is one million albums sold and times three, right? So uh, during the, the summer of 94, oh, wow, 1994, that's uh, the year I graduated high school enlisted in the navy anyways um very uh instrumental year for myself my life allison chains was scheduled to tour with metallica um, suicidal tendencies danzig and fight and a band by the name of fight but during rehearsal for the tour staley began using heroin again and the band had to withdraw from the tour they were actually uh also slotted for woodstock 94 if you recall woodstock 94 was a pretty big event significant event that year um and subsequently the band breaks up uh six months later or i'm sorry they break up for six months in 94 they reunite and they record the self-titled album alice in change chains um they were actually in inactive for a little, the early part of 95 um during that time actually lane staley um, links up with Mad Season, which is a, a super group, and uh, that particular group was uh, included Mike McCready of Pearl Jam, John Baker Saunders, bassist from the Walkabouts, uh, Barrett Martin, the drummer from Screaming Trees. So they released one album as Mad Season, which is called Above in '95, and uh, I remember listening to that album. Actually, uh, being in, in in Washington, listening to that album and. Lane Staley had a different sound, different tone, tonality to his voice, I think, when he recorded that album with Mad Season. Different than he did with um, Alice in Chains. Obviously, it's going to be different, right? But um, it was different in a good way, no doubt. Uh, the guy is just a, he was just a mad, uh, <laughs> mad genius, if you will. Um, so that album, Mad Season, you know, spawned uh, one number two single called River of Deceit great song great album check it out so back to Alice in Chains uh, in November of 95 Alice in Chains was released the album and debuted at number one of the Billboard 200 and again goes triple platinum and uh, that particular album spawns four singles grind again over now and heavy heaven beside you in April of 96 they do um, MTV Unplugged. If you recall, the Unplugged series was uh, 
a big series that MTV had with a live show and with the great bands of that of that era Pearl Jam did one uh, you know uh, Nirvana did one they did a, an unplugged which was an acoustic set a live show and uh, so Alice in Chains did theirs in April of 96 um, Staley from this point on becomes a, a recluse uh, after his fiance Damry Parrott unfortunately dies of a drug overdose on October 29th, 1996 and uh, obviously that's going to be hard for anyone to take man and unfortunately that was um, one of uh, uh, a, a catastrophic event events in in, in his life and, and kind of probably um, propelled him uh, down a um, the wrong path, you know, as far as um, the drug, the drug thing is is concerned with heroin and, and, and all that. Uh, with his, you know, being his, um, you know, as part of his uh, his, his habit. And in regards to his habit, uh, Alice in Chains, um, they record two new songs in October of '98, "Get Born Again," and in June 1999. They released Nothing Safe, Best of the Box, which featured Get Born Again, that new track. And they actually had a... Um, Nothing Safe It was actually... A, a, they released it as a sample sample album for the forthcoming Music Bank in the fall of 99. And uh, there was a single called Died uh, that was released on the Music Bank. Now, Music Bank, if you recall, at the beginning of the show here uh, we were talking about uh, how they they were formed and uh, how Jerry Cantrell lived with uh, Elaine Staley at the music bank and they were you know they were recording uh, well not recording but playing uh, you know jamming out and, and, and rehearsing uh, so they they gave it uh, a, they gave a nod to music bank as the title of that album in November 98, Jane uh, Lane Staley joins Supergroup, the class of 99, which consisted of Tom Morello uh, of Rage Against the Machine, Martin Lenoble, Stephen Perkins, both of Jane's Addiction, and keyboardist Matt Serlitic. Um, they cover Pink Floyd's Another Brick in the Wall for the movie soundtrack, The Faculty. Now, The Faculty is a movie, right? And you go on there, check out the soundtrack, and you can hear, you can listen to that uh, cover they did for uh, Another Brick in the Wall. And this is something I found, I didn't even know, you know, until uh, I was doing the research for this this particular episode, this show. And so that's a pretty cool little piece of trivia there. If you don't, if you're not familiar, that uh, Lane Staley hooked up with, um, I mean, Tom Morello. I mean, that's a super group, of course, <laughs> uh, to say the least, right? Um, I mean, Martin Lenoble, Stephen Perkins, and uh, Matt Serletic. I hope I'm pronouncing that Serletic. Um, so that's pretty uh, interesting. Uh, that was in November of 98. And the, the, the right around this time, Jerry Cantrell releases his... Uh, his self, his side project, right, which is uh, Boggy Depot is the name of the, his album, his solo project, I should say, um, and then 
so they they continued to uh, tour in support of uh, Cantrell and they were uh, they were uh, touring without uh, Lane Staley at the particular time Jerry Cantrell then completes a second solo album in 2002 and Lane Staley dies in April of 2002 of an apparent drug overdose um, they say he was found two weeks about two weeks after he had he had actually died so he was in his his condominium for two weeks dead and uh, they had uh, someone do a welfare check no one had heard from him for a couple weeks and uh, unfortunately he succumbed to his uh, uh, drug habit um, and I remember that I remember being uh, I remember hearing about it you know and so I didn't get into Alice in Chains up in, until about 90 I want to say 97 98 I bought the Jar of Flies and I think I got Sap um, those two those two EPs and then I got Dirt because I fell in love with those two EPs and I said you know I need to get these guys I need to get all their stuff so I went and got Dirt I got Facelift the only one I don't have is uh, Alice in Chains the self-titled but um, those are uh, you gotta pick those albums up you gotta really really um, appreciate what Alice in Chains did in their short well they're still a group uh, they're still touring they still uh, they recorded a, f- a few albums um, but I'm only concerned with uh, Alice in Chains as without with Lane Staley I mean that original lineup uh, to me I think that's 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 the uh, you know those are the golden years for for Alice in Chains man those are um, you can't replace that stuff man you get that music is just uh, pure bliss genius and uh, not to knock their whatever they have out now uh, be honest with you I haven't really heard it because I'm so in love with Lane Staley and so in love with that band during that era that um, I'm just uh, you know it's, it overshadows anything that I want to listen to uh, you know with their, their new uh, their current uh, lead lead vocalist. Um, so that's uh, Allison Chains. I hope you've enjoyed this profile. And uh, stay, like I said, we will be profiling uh, '90s musicians, '90s bands from various genres. Uh, stay tuned as we will will uh, will be on uh, the next podcast, the next episode. Uh, we'll keep it a surprise for you. We're not gonna, we won't divulge who we're gonna profile until the, the night of the podcast. So, stay tuned. Thank you for listening to the '90s galore. And again, I'm your host Andy Zaldivar. As I'm signing off, and like I said, this is our first episode. You're a part of history. Hope you enjoyed. Take it easy. Signing out.